Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Employment shareholder Lisa Hogan discusses Colorado Senate Bill 85, the Equal Pay for Equal Work Act, with proponent Charlotte Sweeney. Lisa and Charlotte, who tend to be on opposite sides in employment cases, try to unpack the complicated issues of equal pay and the possible impacts of this proposed legislation. Hello, welcome to another Brownstein podcast. My name is Lisa Hogan, and I chair the employment group here at the firm. And with me today is uh, our guest, Charlotte Sweeney. Charlotte is an attorney who's been practicing for about 25 years. And interestingly, Charlotte and I bang heads up against each other on a somewhat regular basis. We've actually tried cases against each other. But Despite all that, we can have logical, rational conversations, and that is our goal today. We are going to have a logical and rational conversation uh, discussing the proposed legislation in Colorado, the Equal Pay for Equal Work Act. Charlotte? Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to talk to you about the bill and answer, hopefully, some of your questions and and or concerns about the bill. So just so you know, the differences in our practices are that I tend to represent businesses, the um, employers in most cases, not always, but and Charlotte uh, tends to represent plaintiffs. And you want to tell just a little bit about your practice? Uh, sure. Uh, I am a partner in the firm of Sweeney and Bechtold. We're a Denver firm that specializes in representing employees in matters of discrimination, retaliation, harassment, and that sort of thing. Over the past 10 years, I've really developed a specialty in equal pay cases. Um, I have a kind of a vested interest in that. I have two teenage daughters and uh, certainly would like to see an end to the pay gap in before they begin the work uh, in about five years. So we got to get going. <laughs> right, because you want them to support you uh, in your dotage. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I'm in the same boat. I have two daughters as well. And um, I, I think if, if I were to characterize how um, I frame this discussion is I think we should approach it from the idea that this pay gap exists even among well-meaning companies, uh, businesses, that this is something that has gone on for a long time despite a lot of efforts. And so can you just tell us briefly your role in this legislation? Certainly. Uh, Through my association with the Colorado Women's Bar Association, I became involved probably about seven to eight years ago in looking at the issue and and how to address the issue because the Federal Equal Pay Act is not working, and we'll come back to that. But the Colorado Women's Bar really wanted to get more involved, made it their legacy issue because this deeply affects female attorneys. In fact, female attorneys have one of the highest pay gaps. So the the bar got us um, all working on potential solutions that eventually led us to drafting legislation with the help of our sponsors um, in the in the Colorado legislature. So over the last two years, we've been working on that. Introduced a similar bill last year that did not get very far, and reworked that over the summer and reintroduced it in the um, at the start of this session. So you referenced the uh, Federal Act, which I believe was passed in 1963. Correct. So what does this do that's different? Well, I think to to point that out, we've got to talk about what's wrong with the Federal Equal Pay Act. Again, as you mentioned, it's been in place over 55 years, and the pay gap 
is still at a startling high level. For white women, it's about 79 cents per dollar to a white male. For African-American women, it's about 61 cents. For Hispanic women, we're down looking at 53 cents to the dollar. So clearly the federal act has not done enough to close the gap, um, frankly, if anything at all. So in looking at that, one of the primary areas that that um, legislation fails is it kind of has a, a catch-all exception that allows an employer to justify a pay disparity for any reason at all. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't have to be related to the job. doesn't have to be related to qualifications for the job, just anything. And so because of that weakness, employees are reluctant to use the act to gain any relief because they're losing those cases. So really the, the Equal Pay Act has been sitting there dormant the Colorado bill, along with many other states who have looked at the issue, closes that loophole um, and really says, no, we agree there's lots of reasons people could be paid differently, lots. But let's try and list them. Is it training? Is it experience? Is it education? All great factors, all legitimate factors. So those are reasons you can use. Um, years of experience, super. Uh, uh, specialized training, uh, a merit system, better performance, all of those are fine. So what the bill does is really kind of not force employers, but encourage employers to really think about the decisions they're making with respect to pay in the workplace. Okay. And uh, you mentioned some other states that have passed such legislation or are looking at it. Can you give us some examples? Certainly. Over the last 10 years, this, is, this issue has really moved to the forefront. Um, a lot of it is done, has, has happened because of the, the increased uh, optics of the issue. Um, we've all read about Hollywood actors, actresses who are battling equal pay. We've got the U.S. soccer team, the U.S. hockey team. Right. Uh, Serena Williams. So mm -hmm. it's it's women out there in sports and entertainment that actually really kind of led the charge. And in response to that, what you've seen is states like California, New York, Oregon, Massachusetts, New Jersey, enacting their own equal pay legislation to help fix the deficiencies in the federal bill. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the specifics in the Colorado bill and um, I want to relay some of the concerns that I've heard uh, primarily from the business community, and, and let's talk those through a little bit. Uh, there's an aspect of the bill that allows people to skip going through any sort of administrative process and going straight to district court to file, and uh, uh, there have been um, concerns expressed that this is going to result in an explosion of, of lawsuits. So... Um, you know, they're, they're pointing the finger at the, <laughs> at the plaintiff's bar, certainly. Give us your, your response to that. Sure. I, I think the first thing that's imperative to note is there already is that right to go right into court on the federal act. So frankly, this is not doing anything different than is already out there. So it would actually make no sense to require an administrative exhaustion requirement here where there isn't one under the federal Equal Pay Act, because what would happen is employees would bring both claims, and you'd be in court on one claim and in an administrative process on the other. You'd really be facing twice the expense instead of just battling it in one forum. So, so that should help alleviate some of that concern. The second response is it's a bill that's limited in remedies. Um, this is not a bill that's going to encourage people to rush into court with claims. The potential remedies for a victory under this claim are limited to the pay loss 
And if the court finds the employer was not acting in good faith, it may, at its discretion, double that amount. So really, when you're talking about the pay gap, you might be looking at a pay gap of 5000 a year, maybe 10000 So the scope of damages is, is quite limited. It is not like a claim under Title VII or CAUTA for intentional discrimination where employees can recover hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases of emotional distress or punitive damages. This bill has no such remedy. Okay, and you talked about CAUTA. That's the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act that covers um, a much broader range of discrimination claims, correct? Just so we're, yes. we're clear. Um, okay, well, that is an, that's an uh, interesting response. And uh, you and I were talking earlier, and I was expressing the fact that I just – I keep – pretty close track on the cases that get filed in this state. And I can't even think of the last time I have seen a case filed under the Federal Equal Pay Act. Is that consistent with your understanding? It is. They're few and far between. And and again, since this is an area I specialize in, I perhaps bring one claim under the Federal Equal Pay Act maybe once a year. And that's only because I have made a personal commitment to ferret out equal pay violations wherever I see them because the only current way we have to deal with them is to file a case in court under the Federal Equal Pay Act. And it's become such an important issue that I have decided, despite the fact that there's limited remedies and these are not cases in which I intend to make very much money, I need to bring them because it's an important issue. So um, of anybody bringing them, I would probably be bringing the most in our metro area and that's just not happening. Okay. Well, let's talk about another aspect of it because this seems to uh, cause a lot of concern, and that is a requirement of um, posting the, the job and the range. So why don't you explain what was intended by that? Certainly. So the act can really be broken down into two distinct sections. One act is the prohibition on paying employees differently in their wages. That does have a right to go into court. The second part of the act is a regulatory piece. And so the posting requirement comes under that regulatory piece. There is no private right of action. An employee cannot file that in court. They would file a complaint with the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment. And what that is about is the research has supported the notion that part of the pay gap has been caused by frankly, women not being aware of promotional opportunities and therefore not applying for promotional opportunities. So their wage gets stuck in the lower range. So the posting requirement really just says, and and posting's a misnomer, it is not a posting requirement, it's an announcement requirement. It really just says, employers, anytime you have a promotional opportunity, announce it to your employees. That could be verbally, it could be in a staff meeting, it could be shouting it across the restaurant kitchen, it doesn't matter. Um, it could be in an email that you send out monthly of job opportunities, but it's really just there to ensure that all the employees know about these opportunities and can apply for them. In conjunction with that, the employer needs to list the salary range. Again, part of the problem that's perpetuated the pay gap is women Uh, When they don't know the salary range, they tend to get stuck in a lower salary range because simply they've been earning less than men historically, and they're carrying that into the new workplace. And so by posting the range, the theory is everybody understands what the value of the job is and can negotiate accordingly. Okay. And then that also ties in 
with the aspect of the bill that says you employer can't ask uh, anybody not just women, but what were you making at your prior job? Is that right? That is true. So that is called a ban on salary history or pay history. That is actually one of the first kind of movements of the equal pay that we've seen over the last decade. Many more states have a pay history ban and many localities have a pay history ban. And that's because it is directly tied to the lowering of of female wages because of this um, idea that since women entered the workplace, for whatever reason, the value that has been placed on their work, women are paid less. And as you interview for a new job and an employer says, well, what were you making? Unless you're going to lie, which is a reason not to hire that person, you've got to disclose what you were making. And that has what social scientists have studied called an anchoring effect. Once an employer hears that number, they will not move off that number. And that is now stuck in their brain as the appropriate salary. So in that instance, an employer might say, okay, I'll pay $3,000 more than what you were making. Well, all that's happened there is is that employer unintentionally has perpetuated that woman making less than a comparable man. Now, a man might come into that interview who's being paid more, and he says, well, I've been making 20000 more than her. The employer, because he wants that employee, will offer three more to him. So there you see the wage gap just continuing on into a new workplace when really if we um, asked employers not to ask that question, that will solve that problem. Now, that doesn't mean employees can't offer it, but that's the employee's choice. So if a, if a woman or man wants to say, look, I'm making 90000 and I need to make ninety five, perfect, go right ahead. This is just simply saying, employer, you cannot be the one to bring that up. Okay, so, uh, so what you're saying is there are all kinds of institutional reasons why the pay gap exists and obviously existed in 1963 because that's what prompted the Federal Act to get uh, passed. So let's unpack that for a moment. Put on our, our uh, armchair psychologist hats uh, because you and I are both – not reluctant to talk about things that we don't know that much about. But um, it's just interesting to me to think about what what's really behind a lot of the resistance to this and how much of it – I kind of had to look within myself because, you know, talking about money is such a uh, complex thing for people for so many reasons. And one of the things I did is I started looking into it is like, is this a uniquely American phenomenon, you know, that's just crass or impolite to talk about money? And the more I looked into it, that's not the case at all. There are a lot of uh, people from different countries who think we Americans are way too out there with, you know, money issues and what we talk about. And yet in some other countries, they think our reluctance to talk about it is insane. So, I guess it's good to know that we're somewhere in the in the middle of this, but um, so it just makes me think, and I'm wondering whether you've encountered this in some of the conversations you've had as you've gone through your journey of trying to get this legislation passed. Um, but just what a complex thing it is to, for people to say, "Yep, we are going to be transparent. We people are going to know how much I make." Uh, they're going to know how much the next person makes, you know, and that is the end of civilization as we know it. 
Have you thought about that or sure? Any uh, I've actually thought a lot about it, but before I go into that, I just want to be clear: this bill does not require transparency. Um, some other pay equity bills have um, in other states. The Colorado bill does not require it. So employers do not have to disclose what everybody is making in the workplace. Um, but there are plenty of places in the world where you do. I, I think I mentioned to you in Norway at the beginning of the year, they publish every person salary in the entire country in the newspaper. It's just out there. And so everybody can look to see what everybody else is making, and they're terribly happy with it. Um, so, and, and many of the Scandinavian countries are going that way. It looks to be like Britain is going that way, frankly, um, with their transparency. Iceland is going that way. There's something about the freedom of, of knowing that that these countries are picking up on. And there's, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, there's a great study, I think, out of the, um, Oxford in England showing that employees are happier even when they're paid less if they know why everybody's making what they're making. So the study really supported the notion that people will work hard for you even when they don't feel valued as long as they know why they're not valued. So that was an interesting, I think, turn of a surprising result from that study that, that low-paid workers just want to understand why they're low-paid and they might actually just go back to work and not do anything about it. So that's one thing to think about. The second thing I think companies are finding that the more we know about our wages, the happier we are in general in terms of retention, staying with a company. This company's being honest with me. It's being forthright. So I'm going to give my undivided attention and loyalty to this company and stay there. Now, that leads to your question of, of why won't we do this voluntarily? And, and I do think you're right. There's been a hesitancy in our country, at least, to talk about wages and whether that's because – it leads to an automatic comparison. Well, why is that person better right, than me? Right. Because we associate money with kind of self-worth. So I think fundamentally that's there. Women have been taught over the ages not to talk about money. So I think with women, women it's an extra yeah. um, hard topic to talk about. And when I talk to um, law students or even my daughters, it's it's really about you have to get comfortable talking about money. It doesn't need to be awkward. What you need to understand money is what makes this country work in terms of the employment sector, and you've got to get used to talking about it, asking people about it, talking to your employer about it. Um, and I think we will go through a couple decades of continued discomfort, but the hope is once we all get used to it and realize this isn't leading to some dramatic result or, you know, a revolt by the employees, it's just frankly people need to know how a job is valued, and how they fit into that value. This ties in with what we've already talked about a bit, but there's, um, there's an, uh, an audit aspect to this legislation. Talk about that. Well, again, this is one of the things that I'd say is kind of a, a assumption about the bill that's not there. There is no audit required. The um, Several states have required self-audits or third-party audits of pay practices at a company, this bill does none of those things. What it does is simply say, if you can prove, employer, you were acting in good faith when you set these wages, you will be immune or not subject to that doubling of damages that I mentioned earlier. So whereas you may have to make up the pay loss, you won't get the double damage. And so an audit could be used as a good faith defense. But so could 
um, I sat down with the employees and told them all what they were making and everybody seemed fine with it. And there's all sorts of things that could be defense, but an audit could be one, um, but it's not required again, because the goal of this bill is not to cause employers to incur more money and to have to go out and pay for studies. It's, it's really to get them to look at pay practices voluntarily and what's in their best interest. Um, in that regard, you know, there's some great statistics out, um, and we have an, a couple economists supporting this bill, showing that for every 7% increase in pay equity in the workplace, there's a 3% increase in that employer's revenue. So these, this pay equity idea really pays for itself because you're going to increase revenue, and that's a kind of a calculation of retention, loyalty, work production, employees work harder when they're paid more. So there will be economic gains. And the latest estimate, although it's several years old, was that pay equity will dump $9.2 billion into the Colorado economy per year. That's a serious economic benefit. Um, So pay equity isn't just about paying women equally. It's about compensating Colorado families and really getting that money where it needs to go so it can be pushed back into the economy. Okay. Well, you anticipated my next question, which was um, what I think is a legitimate concern by a lot of businesses, which is just like, oh, my Lord, more regulations. It is just so difficult, especially for small businesses, to to make a go of it. But it sounds like what you're saying is that um, because it's, it's not a, um, a winner-takes-all situation. So if you're going to pay uh, a woman more, does that mean you're taking money away from a man or from the business? And it sounds like what your argument is is that um, no, to the extent that the business is outlaying more money to equalize wages, the economics suggest that that will be made up for by increased revenues. Is that what I'm getting? That's that's exactly a, a great summary. I mean, made up and more. Um, and and I think that's something businesses have not appreciated about this idea of pay equity that many other countries are starting to recognize. I mean, I know the the CEO of Salesforce has gotten an awful lot of credit over the last couple of years, but that's exactly what he found. I mean, he didn't believe there were pay disparities at Salesforce. His um, kind of HR in-house counsel said, I think there is. Let's look at it. So they did a comprehensive audit, found it. They fixed it. And now they do it every year or as they acquire new companies because the first year they dumped $3 million into fixing it. Every year they're putting more money into fixing it because they've found when we fix it, those employees stay longer. Other employees see we have fixed it. They understand we're loyal to this workplace. So not only does it help with the retention of women in the workplace, it helps with the retention of men in the workplace. People are more productive. People are more likely to stay. They're more likely to have your loyalty. Um, And so I think Salesforce is a great example of how this is not a doomsday thing at all. It's actually a great thing for businesses to get behind. The, um, you know, another observation I have, because I I have to confess, having been uh, kind of a business side attorney all this time, um, that my my automatic reaction was, let's look for the problems. You know, how is this, you know, not going to work? And uh, kind of where I came to personally was, you you can say that you care about pay inequity, and yet it continues. It continues. So, uh, we've got to do something about it. And what is particularly interesting to me about this legislation 
is that what it really gets to is digging out the institutional history that has created the the pay gaps and gives you a tool but puts businesses all on the same footing of them all having a tool to try to address that, equalize it, and, um, you know, if you believe in a rising tide lifting all ships, that's kind of what we are talking about here. Uh, and I also, I just need to throw this in, as I've looked at legislation in other states, this uh, Colorado bill seems quite moderate in in comparison. So uh, just give us a quick update now. Where is this bill? Where is it going? Do you, can you offer anything on that? Sure. So the the bill was um, it passed out of the Senate committee that was in the Senate Judiciary Committee a couple weeks ago. It passed out of that committee. It's now waiting in appropriations, which which is really there's some money tied to the bill, so it has to go through a separate committee, and that's really on the regulatory part to pay for that Department of Labor employee to be fielding these complaints if they get yeah, any. Yeah, and isn't that like 100 grand a it's year? Le- isn't that it's the appropriation? Less. I okay. think first year it's estimated at 43000 if I'm yeah. remembering right. So it's minimal. So we hope to get it back out to the Senate floor in the next couple of weeks. Um, the first equal pay day, there's many, but for all women is April 2nd. So it would be nice to see it voted on by then. And that's the date at which women, all women together, make the same amount of money as men made in 2018, it takes women till April 2nd of 2019 to make that same amount. Now, for women of color, for Hispanic women, that date's in November. So that's a real eye-opener. So I'd like to see it by the set, the first equal pay date mm-hmm. and not have to wait for the other ones to come by. Okay. Well, we really appreciate your perspective. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this. And I know from our conversations, you've involved a lot of business groups in Uh, The drafting of this made a lot of compromises, but kind of what I get from talking to you and some of the research that I've done, it seems to me that this is coming, you know, whether it's this bill, whether it's this year, whether it's this state um, right now, but it is something that's coming, and so... And and well-meaning people, well-meaning businesses just don't seem to have been able to crack this nut because it's, you know, the the gap is, has it really gotten much different over the years? About 10 to 15 cents over the 55 years. So we're closing the gap at the rate of about 40 cents per year. Matt, that's not in time for my dotage and your dotage and our daughters to support us. Definitely not. Right. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Great to talk with you. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.